0: Good morning, Grace Vineyard, and welcome to those watching this on our YouTube channel or listening to this on the church website. Today we return to the series on the book of Acts that we started early last year. The last sermon in this series was done by Mark Stoneham on the 15th of November, when he looked at Acts chapter 18 and the first 17 verses, where Paul was on his second missionary journey and found himself in Corinth. Today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 19, where we find Paul on his third missionary journey. But before we get there, I want to read a portion of scripture from Acts 18 to put what I'm looking at into context. Acts chapter 18, verses 18 to 23. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with them Priscilla and Aquila. At St. he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Paul leaves Corinth to head back to his home in Antioch, going via Ephesus, where he stops briefly but promises to return if God wills. We don't know how long Paul spent in Antioch, but after some time he is off again on his third missionary journey. In Acts 19, there are three different scenarios that we will look at – baptisms, spiritual authority and idol worship. We will not read the whole chapter, but I will read portions of it and then share some thoughts. I'm going to begin with the last section of this chapter, which is the longest to read, which we are not going to do, as you can do that in your own time. I want to make a few comments on it before I get to what I want us to focus on this morning. Acts chapter 19 verses 23 to 41 are about the riot in Ephesus, in which for once Paul is not caught up in, but is part of the cause. Ephesus was the home of the temple of Artemis, and the silversmiths in Ephesus had a lucrative industry, manufacturing and selling silver shrines. Paul's ministry had such an impact on the people of Ephesus and the surrounding area that sales of the shrines were affected. Demetrius, one of the silversmiths, stirred up the other craftsmen and people of the city to such an extent that a riot ensued. Now his claim was that the goddess Artemis was being discredited because Paul said man-made gods are no gods at all. Where in reality, he was just concerned about the money he was losing. Like many people today, his God was money. And Jesus warned us that we cannot worship God and money. We have to make a choice. Don't let money become an idol in your life. Going back to the beginning of the chapter, let's read what it says about baptisms. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues. And prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Paul does get back to Ephesus and finds a small band of disciples and engages with them about baptism in the Holy Spirit, only to find out they have not even been properly baptized in water. Now John the Baptist was baptizing people, telling them to repent. But this was before Jesus was even crucified for our sins. It was a different baptism from the baptism Jesus commanded his disciples to do to new believers. Matthew 28 verse 19 tells us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now I know it says that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and not in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Is there a difference? No. Why not? It was not in the name of Jesus, but the Lord Jesus, the fullness of who Jesus is as God, not as man. The Lord God is three in one, Father, Son, who is Jesus, and Holy Spirit. So being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus is the same as being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now when baptizing people, it is better to do as instructed in the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, as it stops discussions that don't need to happen. But a discussion that does come up is the one about people coming to faith in Christ as teens or adults and then questioning whether they need to be baptized again as they were baptized as infants. I think that this is a good example of what needs to be done to those people. They need to be baptized after they have repented. Scripture is clear that baptism comes after repentance. Acts 2 verse 38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was on the day of Pentecost. Now, as a baby cannot repent, I see infant baptism as symbolic, much like John's baptism was symbolic of what was to come with Jesus. In this church, Grace Vineyard, like many other churches, We don't do infant baptisms. What we do is infant dedications, like what happened to Jesus when Mary and Joseph took him to the temple and he was prayed for and prophesied over. Full immersion water baptism is to happen after repentance and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But then, what about baptism in the Holy Spirit, I hear you ask? That is what happened to them next, and is different from water baptism. As we have just read, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when we repent and are baptized. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. We receive him as a gift over and above our sins being forgiven and our lives renewed. We receive the Holy Spirit too. He comes and takes up residency in us. The Holy Spirit is received as a free gift. But then we can also be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there's something that we should desire. And unlike water baptism, it can happen multiple times. When we baptize in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit began to manifest, begin to manifest in our lives. And we can begin to see those gifts operate in us. And through us, it's not so much of the Holy Spirit being poured over you, although at times it can feel like that, but rather the Holy Spirit pouring out of you. We saw in, the act, in, in Acts nineteen and six, at verse six, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. These are just two of the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul later describes them to the church in Corinth. One Corinthians twelve seven to eleven. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Baptism in the Holy Spirit can happen in different ways. Here it happened when Paul laid his hands on them. When Peter went to the house of Cornelius, he was just speaking to the people and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues. Each one of us... Is unique and the Holy Spirit operates through each one of us in a unique way now I got saved at 19 years of age six weeks later I went off to do my compulsory military service I ended up doing an extra year that's a story for another time and in those three years I was not in a church for various reasons where the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit were spoken about taught on practiced experienced. But when I came out of the army, I desperately wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. For about six months, nothing happened in any of the meetings I was in. I saw the Holy Spirit moving in our meetings, but nothing happened to me. One morning, I was visiting a church in our village. And while the pastor was speaking, we were standing, I think we were getting ready to worship, when he stopped looked at me, pointed at me, and said that the Holy Spirit was on me and giving me what I wanted. And I started to speak in tongues. I didn't feel anything physically happening to me. There was no shaking or feeling of electricity flowing through me. Just a peace, and yet at the same time, an excitement. I was standing, and everything just seemed to pause as I felt this peace come upon me. And I began to speak in tongues, quietly and only a few words. Nobody laid hands on me or prayed for me, just a word of knowledge given by the pastor. And I received what I had been longing for and began to speak in tongues. Now, since then, I've seen all the gifts operate in and through me, some more than others. When the Holy Spirit comes on me, most times I just stand very still. Sometimes I might sink to the floor and end up lying still. On the floor. Now when the Holy Spirit comes on Jill, it's very different. She behaves very differently from me. If she's standing, most times she begins to rock back and forth and bob up and down. Then she can't stand and has to sit, continuing to rock backward back and forth, often ending up with her head between her knees. Scripture talks about getting drunk in the Spirit. And that is exactly what Jill looks like when the Holy Spirit is on her. There have been times when I've had to hold her up while we are walking out of a meeting. Because if I let go, she would collapse to the floor. Other people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit in other ways. They feel electricity flowing through their bodies. Or feel heat flowing through their bodies or in specific parts of their bodies. Some quiver, quake, and shake. And that's where the Quakers got their name from. They quaked under the power of the Holy Spirit. I've experienced heat in my hands when I've laid hands on someone while praying for healing. And those are normally the times when I see the healing manifest straight away. Each one of us is unique, as I've already said. And each one of us will experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our own unique way. We are all God's children, and He deals with us individually. So never compare your experience with someone else's experience. Just eagerly desire the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting in and through you. And be willing to let God use you to operate in the gifts that He has given you. We recently celebrated Christmas, just two weeks ago. Does anyone still have any gifts wrapped up and left unopened? I don't believe that there is anyone still with unwrapped gifts. Likewise, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts given freely to us, but we have to open those gifts for them to have any effect in our lives and in the lives of those that we are reaching out to and those we are discipling. Now, how do we open the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives? By being open to the Holy Spirit using us wherever and whenever He wants to. By being intimate with Him, not resisting His prompting, leading and guiding. Being willing to look a fool in front of others. We, each one of us, as disciples of Jesus Christ, have the power and authority of God because of the Holy Spirit in us, enabling us to do anything and everything that God calls us to do. Jesus has given it to us. He said in John 14, 12-14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We see this manifesting in Paul's life in the next section of Acts 19. Let's read on. Acts chapter 19, verses 8 to 12. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, Before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them and their evil spirits came out of them. Once more, Paul spends some time in the synagogue before withdrawing and meeting elsewhere because of issues within the synagogue. He spends two years, and it's obviously very effective. He's obviously very effective in his preaching because in that time, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. But this is not what I want to look at. I want to look at the last two verses of this portion of Scripture. Verse 11 and 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. The Holy Spirit's power and presence was so tangible in Paul that even pieces of material that had touched him carried the power and anointing to heal the sick and cast out demons. Now, I don't know how many of you think this, think that this is amazing and extraordinary. It must have been wonderful to witness. The good news about this is that it still happens today. A couple of years ago, here in Perley, at the end of a midweek Connect group meeting, we were praying for one another, as is our custom. Now, one of the ladies of the group had not been able to be with us that evening because she was not well. So one of the other ladies suggested that we all lay hands on and pray over a scarf that she had with her. And she would take it to the lady on her way home from the meeting and go and place it on her. When she got to the unwell lady's house, she explained what she wanted to do. This lady's preteen daughter came out of her bedroom and joined her mom. So the scarf was placed on both of them and they were prayed for. The lady was instantly healed and the daughter then opened up to her mom and this lady that she'd been going through a very dark time, feeling depressed and even having suicidal thoughts at times. And as soon as the scarf was placed on her, the darkness lifted and the suicidal thoughts left her. The last we heard, as they now live in another country, the darkness never came back. Today, these things still happen. Do you know and understand the power and authority that you have as a disciple of Jesus Christ? You have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ to exercise that power and authority. You have to know Jesus, receiving him as Lord and Savior. Then you are known by Jesus and are able to use his power and authority to overcome the attacks of the enemy. Let's read on. Acts chapter 19 verses 13 to 20. mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burnt them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This account of the seven sons of Sceva is a prime example of people not knowing Jesus as Lord and Saviour but expecting to use the power and authority found in the name of Jesus. now just by saying in the name of Jesus at the end of a prayer does not empower that prayer. What empowers prayer is knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, knowing God's word and knowing God's will, so that when you pray, you pray in accordance with God's word and will. The sons of Sceva knew about the name of Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. So therefore they had no power or authority and were overcome by the demon instead of driving it out. I'm not sure how many of you have ever had to or will ever have to deal with demons. But in my few encounters, the only thing that I see that the sons of Sceva did right was that they did it as a team, not one-on-one with the demon-possessed person. If you ever encounter someone that is demon-possessed, be wise and make sure that you do not try to deal with it on your own. Take at least one other person with you. Now Jesus set the example when he sent his disciples out to the towns to preach and heal the sick. He sent them out in pairs and they came back and reported that even the demons obeyed them. So be wise and follow the example Jesus set. The last thing I want to say on this portion of scripture is how a number of those that became believers got rid of all their books that had to do with their previous way of living and practicing of magic arts. If you have ever been involved in any sorts of unbiblical practices, magic arts, the occult, astrology and the likes, and have books and paraphernalia from those days, I would highly recommend that you destroy them. Don't give them away or sell them, but destroy them. A bonfire is a wonderful way to do it. It breaks any grip that those practices had on your life. Don't worry about the value of what you're going to burn. Just burn it and be set free from any grip it had on your life. If you're worried about the price, then it shows that it still has a grip on your life. Burn it, destroy it, and be set free. In closing, Scripture tells us to eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit using us to release the gifts that he has given us so we can see lives changed and people coming to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We need to understand the power and authority that we have as sons and daughters of the Most High God and not be scared to operate in that power and authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Father. And that you love us. And you have given us the Holy Spirit to be with us. You promised that, Jesus, when you said, I must go to heaven and I will send the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter, our guide. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us always. Help us to be open to you and all that you want to do in us and through us. Help us, even in those times when we think we're going to make fools of ourselves, to be bold and courageous and listen to your leading and your prompting. Open us up to receive more of your gifts and to release more of your gifts through us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us. Always. You never leave us. You never forsake us. That is your promise to us. So come now, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us. Fill us anew. Flood over us. Release your presence and your power and your gifts through us that we can go and make disciples of those who do not know you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.